So this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean over to the person, if there's a person next to you, and I want you to tell them, you are special. Ready? One, two, three. Now here's, I, I, <laughs> now some of you, you said it like the church lady. You were like, oh, well, aren't you special? Um, that's not exactly what I meant by that, but, you know, you need to work on your heart a little bit. I got my eye on you. But the truth is, you are special. You are special. The last several weeks together, we've been looking at uh, our identity. We've been going through this sermon series called, Who Are You? And it's not about what you do. It's truly about who you are. There's a big difference. And some of you, over the course of your life, you have, you have learned lies, you have bought into lies that you are what you do. And Christ comes through and he reminds us that, no, 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 that's not your identity. I bought you with my son, and therefore you are mine, and now you have my identity. And so we've been looking through over the last couple of weeks we discovered that we are alive, that we are fully known, all the bumps and bruises along the way, and also fully loved. And last week, we talked about this idea that we are made new, that all of, all of the old is gone in Christ, and all of the new is, is being transformed in us. And today, we're talking about this idea of being talented. How many of you would describe yourself as a talented person? Perfect. Nobody. Awesome. That's good. That's good. We got a lot of work to do, folks. I got my work cut out for me. You know what, though? I think that's true. I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of feeling good at something. Because we typically look around and see other people who do things so much better than us that it leaves us feeling devalued. And therefore, oftentimes we wind up not plugging into things because we just don't feel like we add much of anything or give much of anything of value. And I can't help but think that's kind of where our story begins today if you have your Bible, you can scroll open or flip open to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 14 today. But before we get there, I'm going to set a little bit of the context for you. Jesus is teaching. It's towards the end of his life, and he begins to really lay out some, some things that are very important. I always say the words of a dying person are important. They understand that time is limited, and so they try to tell you the things that, that have the most meaning. And so Jesus gathers around all of uh, the, those who are close to him, and he begins to tell them about the kingdom of God in three parables. We're going to read the middle parable today. This is what it says in Matthew chapter uh, 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it, and it refers to what happened before, that he's talking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Again, it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. 
To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. If you have a highlighter, underlight, right, mark that, each to his ability. And then he went on his journey. If you stop right there, uh, just for a moment, I found that in counseling, a lot of times, especially in marriage counseling, one of the most helpful things to do is to define terms. Have you ever been there before where you thought you were talking about the same thing with somebody else? And as it turns out, over time, you realize that you're actually, you're using the same word, but you're talking about two completely different things. You've probably been there with your children before. You said something like, hey, clean your room. You know where I'm going, parents. And the kid comes back five minutes later and says, it's clean. And you walk in and you think, what, what threw up in here, right? I mean, there's something, there's a smell, there's things all over the place. And you say, it's not clean. And they said, oh, yes, it is. Because you define the term differently. Haven't you noticed that's true in life, in your marriage or in your, your relationship with your kids or maybe your friends, that, that you have, have come at odds with things because you define terms differently. And so it's important in this story, I think, that we understand a couple of terms, terms that come up pretty quickly here. The first one, the first term is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that Jesus talks about the most Throughout the New Testament, a lot of times people say Jesus talked about love the most and certainly he talked about love a lot. But the thing he talked about the most is the kingdom of heaven. But what is the kingdom of heaven? If somebody were to ask you to describe what the kingdom of heaven is, what would you say? Is it a, is it a heavenly place? Is it somewhere where we go when we die? Is it here on earth? Essentially, the kingdom of heaven is this. It's the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of humanity. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of, his, of humanity or his people. That when God rules and when God reigns in you and I, that is the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. And so as he continues to tell parable after parable after parable, what he's really telling us is this is what life looks like when God rules in your life. This is what life looks like when God rules in your heart. So as Jesus tells us this story, he says, listen, I need you to know that this is what it looks like when I rule. The second thing that I think we need to define terms in is this idea of stewardship. Stewardship is not a church word, although it has become a church word. When's the last time you heard of anybody talking about being a good steward outside of the church realm, right? And therefore, I think sometimes the word steward gets a little muddied, but here is what it means to manage or to oversee another's possessions. That somebody has given you, not as yours, but to oversee a portion, a piece of something that is valuable from them. And so you overlook that, you, you, you take care of it, you, it's entrusted to you. And here is where this story begins. 
The kingdom of heaven starts with God giving you something. This is God's design. And in fact, do you remember that verse, uh, just a little piece of it that I told you to underline, is that, that Jesus says that God or this master had given these three people, each one, five bags, two bags, one bag, according to their ability. In my relationship with my wife, I'm always blown away. There are, have you ever noticed there are five talent people? Right? I mean, that, that, that kind of seems like they're endless, right? My wife is one of those people. She can sing. She can paint. She can draw. She, she's an ideas person. She's creative. She can do all of these things. I'm a one-trick pony, right? I mean, that's it. I've done a whole lot of things in my life, and I learned I'm not good at most of them, right? I can't draw a straight line. I can't do a whole lot of things. It's amazing to be around somebody who is a five-talent kind of person. But what I find is a lot of times in my life, I wind up deferring to her because it seems like, oh, man, she's just so much better. She's so much better. When a lot of times there's something that I can do on my own but sometimes I feel like you've ever been there before. I feel like maybe it's better to have somebody else do it. It's somebody else's responsibility. Somebody else can do it. And I just, I don't, I'm not sure I want to put out the risk. Maybe I'll fail. I'm just a one-talent person and I failed before. That context gives this story meaning. See, here's the thing. God knows your abilities. He made you special. Right? And not in the church lady special. In the fact that he created you unique. He gave you special gifts and special talents. And he gives you the opportunity to steward. To oversee the value that he gave you. That which is rightfully his, with the abilities that you have. The story is not done. Verse 16, this is what it says. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five more bags. That's usually what happens with somebody who has a lot of talent, right? This all seems to work out well. They, they just, it's like they're winning at every opportunity. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Here's what we often don't see with people who are five-talent kind of people is the work involved. Yeah, we see people who, man, they have, they have made, maybe, maybe spiritually, right? You ever been around somebody who's like, man, they are a spiritual giant. They, they seem like a prayer warrior. Their, their marriage is like, oh, solid as a rock. And you're thinking, I want to be like that. But here, I'm married to this schlub, right? And I don't know how to change that. I'll t don't tell me you have never thought that before, right? Or maybe it's like you see other people's kids and you think, man, how do I raise up kids like that? I want to have kids like that. And then you look at your kids and you're like, why aren't you like that? <laughs> or maybe it's your job, right? You think, man, how do I, how do I get to where that person is? 
It just doesn't ever seem like I can get there. And what we don't see is the work involved. What I love, what I love about this verse is that Jesus doesn't leave that part out. He says, man, when God gave them something, they went right to work. God gave them this ability. He entrusted them with everything. And then they took it and they put it in place. They didn't sit around. They didn't stew about it. They didn't wait for their opportunity to arise. They just said, hey, listen, this is what God gave me. And here's what I'm going to do with it. And so they held out for, and this is a key phrase you'll hear me talk about a lot, the long obedience. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I have, like, <laughs> I will have short-term obedience. All right, God, listen, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I want to I wanna be a better husband. So God, help me to be patient and loving and forgiving. And, and I'm going to lead my life, you know, my life and my wife well. And then by noon, I'm like, scratch that. I just want to survive. Because <laughs> things get hard and we have short-term obedience. Man, that doesn't pay off in the end, does it? Having long obedience the other thing was they, they, put, they, they, they put a degree of, they were okay with a degree of risk. I don't know how you are. I'm, I'm not a super risky person. This is not in my comfort zone. But these people went out and they invested. I mean, it could have been that they lost money, right? It didn't mean that they were going to get it all back, but they, they, they risked, they were willing to do some risk, I think in this story, we have two people who had talents, put them right to work, were willing to take a risk. And then we had one person who said, you know, no, no, I don't have what everybody else has. And if I lose that one thing, that is not going to be good. So why don't I just take that one thing and I just save that one thing. So at least I know I have that one thing. I believe that one of the biggest tools that Satan uses is comfortability. See, he's, he's not waking you up every morning and saying like, look, here's the biggest, craziest sin that you could commit. Want to try it? Because if he did that, you would be like, ah, I'm, I'm, it's a pass for me today, you know? May, may try again 10 years, but I'm never going to fall for that. But what if, what if, Satan's biggest tool for you is just the idea that it's okay to be comfortable. What if that looks like a lack of urgency? What if it looks like, instead of God telling you, hey, listen, I, I'm going to give you this valuable thing, and, and, and you have talents, and you have abilities, and I want you to use it, and you say, I, well, I will, eventually, when the timing's right, when the timing's right. You know, when, when I feel like I got enough courage, then I'll do it when I have enough time. When the kids are grown, when the kids are grown. Listen, when, when the grandkids aren't around anymore. When our family, when our family. You been there? You been there? 
here's the other thing. It's not just comfortability in that sense. It's comfortable in the sense that we get comfortable with the things that should make us uncomfortable. Mm. We get comfortable with the things that should make us really uncomfortable. When Satan does his finest work, he, says he, he makes you numb to the ways in which he begins to reshape your heart. Or it's not fully devoted to God anymore. It's this comfortability. And in fact, over time what happens is in our Christian walk, we begin to look lazy. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy every once in a while spending a lazy day at home, right? It's, I love that. I'm kind of a homebody, you know. I, I enjoy being there, and I enjoy just spending time and just having the family nearby. But when you're lazy, this like, you know, uh, I put my coat down here, you know, my shoes go there. And I'll pick it up tomorrow, but today, not today. <laughs> and, and when you're lazy, it's like, you know, I know I'm supposed to put, you know, I know I'm supposed to put the drinks here, the glasses here. The, yeah, I know the sink is filling up a little bit, but tomorrow, but today, today is lazy. And I wonder, listen, I don't, I don't know you well, but I wonder if Satan's biggest tool in your life isn't, isn't the shock and awe, but it's to trick you into thinking that comfortability is what God designed your life to be. And that ultimately what happens when you buy into that lie is that your Christianity looks lazy. Now, I'm not trying to offend you. What I'm trying to help you see is that this is where this servant is. Let's keep reading along here. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. He wanted to see what they did. He wanted to see with, with, with what he invested in them, what did they do with it? The man who had received the five talents of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me. You gave me five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, so I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man with two bags of gold came and he said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with few things and I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Stop right there for just a moment. Here's another word we don't see a whole lot of. In this context, and it's something that the master points out both times. And it's this idea of faithfulness. I believe we live in a society that does not value faithfulness. It doesn't value stewardship. 
Somebody gives it to you, you can treat it as though they gave it to you, right? And it's yours now. They don't value servitude. Why would you serve someone else? So in a world that doesn't value faithfulness or stewardship or servitude, be a faithful servant who stewards well. That's our call. That's what these two people did well. But the story, unfortunately, is not over. Like most of Jesus' parables, we have a contrast. We have people who took gifts, worked hard, and they were faithful. And then we had somebody who took the gift and took a lazy way. This is the rest of the story. The man who had received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The servant gives excuses as to why he had buried the money. And his excuses, do you see what his excuse is? It's not about him. He doesn't say, you know, listen, I have one talent, man. And if I lost that one talent, I had nothing. His excuse is, you're difficult. You have too high of expectations. Therefore, I couldn't do it. I can't live up to what you want. See, here's the thing. I don't think our best option in not utilizing our gifts comes at the critique of God who gave us value and ability. It's as if you were to give your child a dustpan and a broom only to come back later and say, you didn't give me the right equipment to sweep. God says, no, 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 I gave you everything you needed. All you needed to do was to use it. I was afraid. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. What if God doesn't just want what you gave him? What if he wants to work through you? What if he wants to see you act faithfully with what he's entrusted you with? His master replied, you wicked, here's the word, lazy servant. So you knew where I have not uh, harvested that, uh, sorry, so you knew that I harvested where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So go take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who had 10 bags for whoever has been given Uh, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance and whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them and throw this worthless servant outside in the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's this dark end to a story, isn't it? 
I mean, it's, it's not a lot like the Disney characters, right? The Disney stories where it's like, and then came the prince and everything was well and all lived happily ever after. Jesus tells a different kind of parable. It's a contrast to the world that we live in. He says, listen, there are going to be, everybody has abilities. Everybody has abilities. There are five ability people and there are one ability people, but everybody's have them. You're special. And so it's what you do with what you have. This is important to note that it's not in the doing that you are saved. It's not in the doing that you are saved. But it's in the faithfulness that God will show you who you are. See, as we surrender our lives to him, we realize it's not about, all right, listen, God wants me to, you know, he, 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 he expects for me to earn one more. He expects for me to do one more. No, God wants you to be involved in the long obedience that when things don't always work out the way that you had hoped that they would work out, you continue to do and utilize the gifts that he has given you because he's entrusted them to you. You are talented Band, if you'll come back up on stage here just for a minute as we kind of close out our time together. Think about this. The parable of the talent should leave us with this wisdom that God has given you and I something valuable. See, it's not, it's not just the ability to, uh, to sing. It's not just the ability to serve. It's not just the ability to give. He has given you something valuable, and it's the message of a saving Jesus. One of my favorite all-time stories is a guy named Eddie. And Eddie may very well be watching right now. That's what I love about Eddie. And Eddie had a past a mile long. Eddie wasn't raised in church. He didn't know anything about God. He'd never really read the Bible before. But Eddie showed up to the doorsteps of our church with his spouse. And he wanted to know more. So we met and we talked. We met and we talked. We met and we talked. And Eddie was rough around the edges. But as we talk, God began to transform his life. And all the things that were in the past, and man, there was a million, a million things in the past. He began to see in different ways. And so finally one day, Eddie says, listen, I, I want to be made new. I want to be baptized. Great. So we baptize Eddie. And I'm telling you something, I, I, have, I have done a, I've been a part of a million baptisms, but nothing ever like this. I grab Eddie, and he's a stout kind of fellow, and I push him un under the water, and like a rocket, I mean, there was no force holding him back as he sprung up out of the water, both fists raised. There was a tidal wave of water coming over the side, and he shouts at the top of his lungs. I know because I can't hear in this ear anymore. I'm saved. I'm in the Lamb's book of life.
See, what if, what if you got lazy with that? What would that look like? See, for Eddie, he knew, he knew that God had delivered him and he was on fire. Sure, while some people have more abilities to share that message than others, we all have ability to share it. For one person, it may be sharing that message through kindness or others it might be through generosity or others it might be through physical labor. Regardless of the method, the mission remains the same. You have a value to share and you are to share it. Or will you get too comfortable? Will you get too comfortable with the urgency to put off the mission? Will you get too lazy and hope somebody else fills in the gap who may be more adequate than you to do it? Or, or, will you get to work? Will you get to work and will you take the risk and share this valuable message with the abilities that God has given you? Because my friend, you are special. You're talented. And God has entrusted you with this message. I mean, he reached out and he saved you at one point in your life and that's why you're here. And the question is, is that where it stops? Does it now get buried and put away and that's it? When I was growing up, we sang this song when we all get to heaven. <laughs> As an old hymn. And I realized somewhere along the way, my heart stopped with that. And it was no longer that when we all get to heaven, it was like when Steve and his family and his kids get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And then I needed to repent. Because I realized the mission is the same mission of Christ. To seek and to save that which is lost. So maybe you join with us. This thing that when we all, when we all see Jesus. Maybe they see them through you. Let's pray. Father God. Some of us in this room, we're five talented people. And we're five talented because we work at it. Other people, two talent. And some of us, including myself, just one talent. And no matter where we are in that spectrum, God, would you help us see that you have given us value in this message of a saving Jesus. Would you rekindle that in us? Help us remember what you saved us from and then share that value with others. That it's not just about us, that you don't want us to bury it in the ground and be safe and be lazy. But that you want us to take risks, big, bold risks with our faith so that other people will get to experience you the way that we have. So Father, 
Help us here at Wellhouse be a church who rallies around the mission of a Jesus who saves. It's in your name that we pray.